This reading is from the Gospel of Mark. It's from the first chapter, and it's uh, verses 21 through 28. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible or look at that, uh, it's on page 867. So listen now for the word of the Lord. They, meaning Jesus and the disciples that he had called thus far, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Here ends the reading. When I was in kindergarten, we were learning how to spell words. And so we had regular tests about how to spell words. And I went to this cool little one-room schoolhouse. It was two rooms. If you pulled the divider across, you know, it had the stage with the roll-down curtain that would come that had all the local businesses sort of um, painted on there. We actually had a barn in the back, and part of the time I rode my horse to school. We would, we would bring hay, um, and there was water there. We would bring hay on Sunday, and then I would ride my horse to school throughout the week. Um, Yes, it was a very different um, way to grow up than most people. But I remember also, maybe you had these, the the sort of the U-shaped tables, and then there was a little cutout, and the teacher would sit in the in the in in the center of the table, and all the students would be would be around that little U, and that's how that's how we were instructed, and that's how we took exams. Well, she would sit there, at least in kindergarten, and I don't remember how many there were of us, maybe four or five at that time. And we would be taking the exam. And so she was giving us the exam. And she said, I want you to spell A. And immediately my little mind began to erase. How do you spell A? What is she talking about? I don't remember studying this. What's going on? I need an answer. I need to figure this out. If I don't, if I don't figure out A then something bad is going to happen, you know? I don't know where that thought came from, but somehow I already knew that I wanted to be right. And so my mind is just racing and racing. And of course, here I am, like I'm four and a half, five, maybe, maybe five and a half years old. And I get really upset. And big crocodile tears start to run down my face. Because I can't figure out how to spell A. I can't figure out the answer. And she sees what's going on and she just leans over to me and she says, Joel, it's the letter A. 
Wow. I mean, now it seems kind of silly and, and, and stupid, but, but at the same time, I mean, we are taught that knowing the answer is really important. If we can know the answer, that means we will do better in life. If we can figure things out, then, then we'll move ahead and move forward. We get rewarded, supposedly, by what we know. And so we're looking for the answer. Or we're looking for someone who has the answer. I mean, she, as far as I was concerned, she was God at that moment. She had just blessed me with everything I'd ever wanted, you know? The letter A. Who knew? And in our world, there are lots of people who are telling us that they have the answer. There are lots of voices that say, this is the right way to go. This is the right way to go. This is the right way to go. Just think about the way we eat. How many diets are out there? Thousands, probably. How many have you tried that worked or didn't work? Those answers may have worked for some people, but not for others. But we keep creating new ones. We keep rehashing the old ones and, and creating new ones. And, we, and new voices, you know, pick up and, and, and come around. But the answers that we seek, when they connect with us, there's something different about them when they work. There's something different about them when it makes sense and when people sit up and recognize those answers as being true or right or that there's just something different about them. So fast forward or fast backward to Mark chapter 1, Jesus was... um, you know, he'd been baptized, and, so, and then immediately he's cast out into the wilderness to be with, with the Holy Spirit, and then immediately he comes and he starts calling disciples, and then immediately he goes to Capernaum. You sort of miss that in this passage. They've softened all the immediately's, because again, in the Gospel of Mark, it's, it's, it's just, it just feels like you're on this roller coaster ride of things happening, 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 happening. There's an immediacy to the story here. But so they go to Capernaum, and Capernaum is, is, is this town um, just off of the, of the, on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, sort of northwest, if I remember correctly, and agricultural area, of course, surrounding their hills where people would, would keep, their, keep their sheep, and there, of course, are fields where they would, they would plant their crops. And he entered the synagogue, it says. So apparently there was some place where the Jews in that region gathered each and every Friday night, Saturday, as we would look at it, you know, um, on the Sabbath day. And he entered the synagogue and taught. What you need to know there is that any, any adult male could teach in the synagogue. They could come in and they could, they could, they could ask to read from the scroll and, and then expound on, on things at this time. Um, they had leaders, of course. They had scribes and what they called doctors of the law, because, of course, the law is what Moses gave them, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so he entered the synagogue and taught, and it says they were astounded at his teaching. They were astounding at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. 
In the New English uh, Bible, it says, he taught them with a note of authority. And I thought about how certain notes musically really connect with us. And certain notes musically don't really connect with us. But he taught with a note of authority. It's like the song that he was singing connected with them in a powerful way. I don't know if you've ever had this. Um, if you, if, when you're in school or, or if you've gone to college or graduate school, there are just some professors that you walk in that classroom and it is like they're singing your song. Like, it might be a challenging song, it might be a difficult song, but it is a note where you are like, yeah, this person knows what they're doing, and I'm connecting with this, and I, I, wow. And then there are others that, at least in terms of how Mark characterizes them here, that are like the scribes. They're teachers, they they know what they're talking about, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily connect with you in that same way. There's something, there's something about Jesus. There's something about the way that he's teaching. The word here is exousia, which means power or authority. There's a power to it. There's an authority to it that's different than what they've experienced. They're just seeing that differently. Again, this is not saying the scribes are bad people or bad guys, as it would have been then. It's just that it's different. It's just that it's different. And so somehow this, this note, this, the answers or the teaching that Jesus is giving is, is connecting with them. And it says, just then there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And, and the word for unclean here is interesting. It, it means an amoral. Or again, unclean, you've got to understand um, in, in Jewish understanding, means that he wasn't right with God somehow. That the spirit wasn't of God somehow. And so he cries out, what have you to do with us? I love that. What have you to do with us? It's in the plural, as if there are more of them around. Jesus of Nazareth. He knows who he is. He knows where he comes from. Have you come to destroy us? And then the most sort of ominous or interesting thing, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. That phrase, Holy One of God, really is used in the scripture to talk about a prophet with divine power. It is used of Elisha. In 2 Kings, the Holy One of God. So this, this unclean spirit seems to know who Jesus is. And if you go backwards in Mark, if you remember from when he was baptized, the skies open up, they're torn open, and there's a voice that says, this is my beloved son. But what does Jesus do here? Does he say, oh, well, this is great. This is my first entry point here. I've, I've got them wrapped around my finger. We're going to capitalize on this. And now this guy knows my title. So we're going to proclaim it to the, to the masses. Because isn't that what we would do? I mean, so much of the time, uh, when, when, we're, when I'm joking around with friends, they're like, well, man, if I, if I knew the, the answer to that, I'd write a book. And then I'd go on tour. 
right? And then I'd make millions of dollars, and then I'd start a school, and then I'd, I mean, you know, it's like we want to build our little kingdom with our answer. But in the Gospel of Mark, there's this thing that we, that's been called the messianic secret. In this, in the, when the scripture gets written here in English, they put an exclamation point at the end of this. But I wonder about that interpretation. I wonder if Jesus just walked up to him and said, be silent and come out of him. Because all throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus will tell people not to tell anyone who he really is. It's a really interesting thing. They think they've got the answer, and he keeps saying, you've got it, but don't tell anybody. It's almost like they need to find it out for themselves. They need to come into contact with him in some way. They need to, they need to have an experience of Jesus that tells them that themselves. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Jesus' answer is not an answer at all to the question, right? Have you come to destroy us? Doesn't answer him at all. It says, be silent. Come out of him. And the unclean spirit, the spirit that was not of God, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. It's an interesting thing, because Mark, if you read the Gospel of Mark, it's very sparse in terms of the writing. But he says, and he came out of him convulsing him. It's just an interesting, I just, I spent some time this week trying to think about what, why is that even important? I don't know, but I think it's interesting. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Like, they see something, they're hearing an answer in Jesus that is different than the answers they've been getting from the scribes. They're seeing something different in Jesus than they've seen in the other healers that are abundant at this time in history. Not only is Jesus a teacher, but he is a healer. And the big secret is that he is the Holy One of God. And so what, what are the answers? What are the answers of God in the midst of this passage? Because that's what I wanted to dig down in is what, what is the answer? You know, in the Old Testament reading, the people were looking for an answer. How are we going to survive without you, Moses? How are we going to do this? Because we know that we're unclean spirits. They didn't say that, but, but when they said, if we meet with God, God will burn us up. That's because they knew that they were not always doing the right things. That they were not the holy ones of God, in, set apart by God in that way to meet with God. And so in this passage, I started to think about what is it? that God is saying yes to, and what is it that God is saying no to? What are the answers that we might take from this scripture passage? And I think that as we look at scripture, the answer that Jesus gives 
to the questions that we have about unclean spirits, about things like racism, about things like sexism, about things like divisions among us, about things like violence against people because of their way of life, about blowing people up in Afghanistan, about six million people dead in the Holocaust, God's answer to that is always no. That the spirits that are not of God need to be cast out. And that in Jesus, God is saying that in my kingdom, these spirits will be cast out. I have the power to cast them out. I am able to do these things. And I am inviting you to partner with me in this kingdom to do that very thing. And when we hear that word, when we hear that no to these things, it might scare us. Because I think, and I'll speak for myself, I often get to a place of sort of apathy and cynicism about the evil in the world. There are just so many ways that we are broken and that we can hurt each other and we continue to do it over and over and over and over again. And yet, in this kingdom in which we are invited to, in this kingdom in which we are citizens of because of our baptism, because of God's overarching grace and mercy, we are the ones who know that God says yes to hope, yes to mercy, yes to healing, yes to the hard work of reconciliation and peace, yes to the hard work of discussion and listening to people who are different than we are to try to find common ways to make things better. And it may not be that we get things fixed. But when we hear God's answer of yes to you and to me and to all people, we can then pick and choose where it is we want to partner with God to make those changes, to fight against those unclean spirits and cast them out. Because if you've ever met anybody who lived with an unclean spirit, meaning they were addicted, or they were sick, or they struggled mightily with depression and anxiety, they had some affliction. And when they had that spirit cast out of them, And maybe they weren't perfectly healed. Maybe they were still in the struggle, but they saw the hope and the grace that was in the midst of this, that this was not a death sentence, but that they could live their life anew and afresh because they'd cast out that unclean spirit, that darkness that hovered over them. If you've ever met anybody like that, you see the hope in their eyes. You see the determination then to share that with somebody else. And that's the other answer, I think, for us today, is if we are struggling with something, 
We need to find somebody who has overcome it. If we have overcome something, we must find others who are struggling with it, to walk with them side by side. Not that we might have the perfect answer, but our answer then is to embody this grace and this love and this hope and this work. And we cannot do all things, but we can do the things of God at our home, in our schools, in our community, in our city, and in our world. Because the other answer that's underneath all of this is that God is already providing for us. As Moses told his people, God will provide the prophets. God will provide the words. God will provide the spirit to draw you forward. And I want you to live, to trust that answer, to embody that answer, to live out that answer in your life in whatever way God is calling you to, to say no to the evil and to the unclean spirits of this world and to say yes to new life and to grace and to love and to hope in every circumstance. Because the one who leads us teaches with authority. He is the Holy One of God. May you know that answer. May it fill you with His Spirit and His determination and His love. And may you go forth to be God's answer for the evil of this world. Amen.